0: Colossians, if you wish. We're not going to really go through Colossians this morning. It's going to be mainly a a long introduction, because uh, there's a lot to say about Colossians and the need for this little book. I'm just going to read the opening greeting in Colossians chapter 1, and then we'll get to to the introduction. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, By the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 2, where it says to the saints and faithful brethren of Christ who are in Colossae, you could put in there to the saints and the faithful brethren who in Christ who are in Covena. Because it speaks to us this morning as well as it does to those in Colossae at the time. Remember when newspapers, maybe you still get them. Remember when newspapers used to carry horoscopes? A lot of people would read their horoscopes first thing in the morning before starting their day. They were looking for answers Signs and predictions in the movements of the stars. It's not a science, but there's a long history of people looking up at the stars to plan their lives. So, do the stars have any influence over our lives? Does what you eat or don't eat make you more or less spiritual? Does God speak to us immediately? Uh, Does he speak to us in our minds or only through his word, the Bible? Do all the religions of the world have something to offer the Bible-believing Christian? Now, these are questions that are very relevant today. But you know what? They're the same questions Paul dealt with in his letter to the Colossians. And we need this important letter today, just as much as when Paul wrote it in A.D. 60. Colossians was written to fight against errors in the church and to show that believers have everything that they need in Jesus Christ. Colossi probably would have never been mentioned in the New Testament if it hadn't been for the church there. It's not mentioned in the book of Acts because Paul didn't start the Colossian church. He never visited it. Paul heard about it. He heard about the Colossians faith, but he'd never seen these believers personally. This was a church where the people were unknown in a small town. And they received this inspired letter from the great, greatest apostle that ever lived. Of course, that is Paul. The Colossian church started as the result of Paul's three years of ministry in Ephesus. The Ephesian church's witness was so powerful and it was so effective that Paul said, or Luke said, that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. This would include people in Colossae, Laodicea, and Necropolis. Necropolis. When we're trying to win people to Jesus, those that we love, those that we live with, those we're always around, we need to always remember that how we live, how we live determines how effective will be what we say. And during Paul's ministry in Ephesus, at least two men from Colossae came to a saving faith, came to know Christ. Epaphras and Philemon and it seems that Epaphras was one of the main founders of the church in Colossae because he shared the gospel with his friends there he also had a ministry in the cities of Aeropolis and Laodicea according to Colossians 4 Philemon had a church meeting in his home and it's likely that Aphia and Archippus mentioned in chapter 4 the wife and son of Philemon and that Archippus was the pastor of the church there. So there's a good lesson for us here. And that is God doesn't always need an apostle or a person in full-time ministry to get a ministry started. Nor does he need big fancy buildings. He doesn't need well-known leaders. He doesn't need big organizations. Here's two, Here's two laymen to ordinary men that, that, uh, that were used by God to start ministries in at least three cities. Again, Aphia and Archippus. Because it's God's plan that the Christians in the big city areas like a Ephesus reach out and go into the smaller towns and share the gospel. Evangelizing small town mission fields. The Colossian congregation was made up mostly of Gentiles, and the sins that Paul named, like fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, in chapter 3, verses 5 through 9, those were usually sins associated with the Gentiles. And what he said about the mystery applied to the Gentiles more than the Jews, Colossians chapter 1. The church was probably about five years old when Paul wrote this letter. Now, what was the heresy that threatened the peace and the unity? I'm sorry, the peace and the purity of the Colossian church. It was a mixture of things. A little of this, a little of that. There was Eastern philosophy. There was a touch of Jewish legalism. And then there was a dash of Gnosticism. The word Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means to know. An agnostic is one who doesn't know. Now, the Gnostics were the people who were supposedly in the know when it came to the deep mysteries of God. They were the spiritual cream of the crop in the church. Because, you see, they had, well, thought they did anyway, they had the inside scoop to the deeper things of God. And um, you know there are people and there are churches who claim to have these kind of people in their church—prophets and mystics and all kinds of people who hey, they know they know stuff. For starters, this heresy promised people that they would have such a close relationship with God that they would achieve a spiritual perfection, and they could reach this spiritual fullness only. If they entered into the teachings and the ceremonies that they had to offer them. That is, if you went to their church, you'd learn these deeper things of God. You'd reach this spiritual fullness. These people were pointing people to their church and not to Jesus Christ. There was also a full knowledge or a spiritual depth that only the initiated could enjoy. And this wisdom that they claimed to have would release them from earthly things and put them in touch with heavenly things. But in reality, all of this teaching was nothing but man-made philosophy based on traditions and not God's truth. So it was the result of the philosophical question, why is there evil in this world if creation was made by a holy God? And how many times have we heard that? We see the evil taking place in our time. We see the, the, the violence and, and the cruelty to people and children. And people You just say, well, you know, if God was so holy and so good and so loving and so kind, why is there so much evil? Why does he let the bad things happen to these good people? And a, Like I said, it's a question that is still asked today. And as these philosophers reasoned and thought about it, they came to the wrong conclusion that matter was evil. Matter was evil. Their next false conclusion was that a holy God couldn't come in contact with evil matter. So there had to be a series of emanations or mediators from God to his creation. In other words, between a holy God and this earth was a multitude of beings angels, messengers of some kind that, that formed a bridge of which Christ was just a member of those emanations. He was just a member of the rest of these beings that made that bridge. They believed a powerful, in a powerful spirit, a powerful spirit world. that used material things to attack mankind. They also believed in a form of astrology believing that angelic beings ruled heavenly bodies and influenced affairs on the earth. And then added to these Eastern ideas was a form of Jewish legalism. The teachers believed that circumcision was helpful, helpful in growing spiritually. They taught that the Old Testament law, especially the dietary laws, what you could eat, what you couldn't eat, what you could drink, what you couldn't drink, was also useful in reaching spiritual perfection specific rules and specific regulations told them what was evil as well as what was good. And since matter was evil to them, they had to find some way to control their human natures in this attempt in trying to find perfection. And so two different practices resulted. One was a school of thought believing that the only way to conquer evil, matter, was by by means of strict discipline. That is asceticism, that is by self-denial. If I don't do this and if I quit doing that and I you know, uh, stay away from this, you know I'm going to reach spiritual maturity. The other way, or the other view, thought that it was okay to take part in all kinds of sin because matter was evil anyway. It seems that the first opinion... One of self-denial, asceticism, was the main one in Colossae. So you see, it's easy to see how this kind of teaching weakened the foundations of the Christian faith. To start with, these heretics attacked the person and the work of Jesus Christ. To them, Jesus was just one of God's many emanations, one of the many beings that formed this bridge from God to man. Just another spiritual being, not the true son of God, who really came in the flesh. The incarnation means God with us. God with us. But these false teachers declared that God was keeping his distance from us. But when we trusted the son of God, when we trust in the son of God, there's no need for these intermediary beings between us and heaven you know we don't need Mary. We don't need priests. We don't need popes. We don't need anybody to help us make contact with God. And again, I, I, I've seen you know I, I, I've seen a bumper sticker said if you if you can't find Jesus, look for Mary. Okay. We don't need Mary in that sense. We are complete in Jesus Christ. Priests and popes can't help us. You know, get to Jesus Christ. 1 John 2.2, 2, it says, We have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ. He's our advocate. The one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only for our sins, but the sins of all the world. We read it in Hebrews 10.11, And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. So a priest can stand all day long offering sacrifices over and over and over again and they can never take away sins. We read in 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Christ's work on the cross Settled the sin question once and for all. Jesus totally defeated Satan and all of his forces. Jesus put an end to the legal demand or the requirements of the law. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Again, the law, he put that away about you know, what you could eat and what you couldn't eat. Jesus said in John seventeen four, I have finished the work which you speaking of his Father, have given me to do. I finished the work. It's done. And then when he bowed his head and gave up his spirit in John 19, 30, he said, it is finished. Done. Complete. In Christ. Add nothing. In fact, Jesus Christ alone is the preeminent one. Colossians teaches us. The preeminent one, the, 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 the only one, the number one. All that the believer needs is Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Matter is not evil. The human body is not evil. God created this body. Everything he created, he said, was good. The problem is that each person is born with a fallen nature. And that fallen nature wants to control the body and wants to use it for sin, but the body itself is not evil. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. I, the Lord, search the heart. And because if it, that is the body, was evil, Jesus would have never come to earth in an evil body. Nor would he have enjoyed the everyday blessings of life as he ministered here on earth. Like going to wedding feasts. Like accepting dinner invitations. Like enjoying the fellowship of others. And how you eat and what you do with your body, it can be good for your health. But they don't have any power to develop true spirituality. Paul said in First Corinthians eight eight, "Food does not commend us to God. For neither if we eat are we better, neither if we eat or don't eat are we the worse." So again, what what you eat or don't eat doesn't make you any any better spiritually. It doesn't, you know, get us in a better standing with God. Romans 14, 17, Paul said, The kingdom of God, notice, is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Notice he said the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. You know why? Because if we say well, you know, I don't drink this because I'm a Christian, or right? I eat only this because it makes me closer to God. See, it's because it's something we can do. That's why the kingdom of God is not eating drinking, because we'd be proud of it. Oh, well, I, I don't eat this, and I don't drink this. And Again, so it's something that I do, taken away from what God has done. Righteousness and peace and joy, notice, are in the Holy Spirit. 1 Timothy 4.4, 4, Since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks. For we know it is made acceptable by the word of God and prayer. So again, eating, drinking, it doesn't make us any closer to God, any better with God. As far as astrology goes, and the influence of angels and heavenly bodies, Paul condemned those things with a passion. Because the cross, on the cross, Jesus won total victory over all satanic powers. Christians don't need to turn to the standards of the world. Satan is always trying to belittle or diminish the power of the cross. And here, it refers to the beings that, according to the Gnostics, control the heavenly bodies that in turn controlled what happens on earth. Believers who read and follow horoscopes are substituting falsehood for revelation and they deny the person and the work of Christ. The false teaching was a misleading mixture of several different things. Jewish legalism, oriental philosophy, pagan astrology, mysticism, asceticism, or self-denial, even a dash of Christianity. All of that being mixed together in the attempt to in the attempt to make what Christ did even better. In this mixture, in this combination of all these things, there was, it, made, it was something for everybody. There's something for this one, there's something for that one. The false teacher said, hey, we're not denying the Christian faith. We're only lifting it to a higher level. We're making it better. How can you add to the Christian faith to make it better? These false, these heretics, they were offering fullness and freedom, a satisfying life that solved all the problems that people face. Do we have any of this heresy here today? We do. And it's just as popular, it's just as deceptive, and it's just as dangerous. When we make Jesus Christ. And the Christian truth, only a part of a total religious system of philosophy, we stop giving Jesus Christ the preeminence. When we strive for spiritual uh, perfection or spiritual fullness, you know, by going to formulas or disciplines or rituals, we go backwards instead of forwards. As Christians, we have to watch out for mixing our Christian faith with with, uh, such tempting things like yoga, transcendental meditation, oriental mysticism, and things like that. You know, the new age. We need to beware of so-called teachers of deeper life who offer a system for victory and the abundant life that bypasses devotion to Jesus Christ in all things In all things, he must have the preeminence. So this heresy was totally different than what Paul was teaching the Colossians. It gave a negative view of life. Like God is far away and matter is evil and demonic forces are constantly threatening us. The Christian faith teaches that God is near to us. That God made all things good even though they can be used for evil. And that Christ has delivered His people from the powers of darkness. This heresy, this heresy, turned the world into a into a, a scary prison. While Jesus made it clear that the Father is at work in this world, taking care of His own. And finally, these false teachers tried to ch- change people from the outside by means of what they ate by means means by what they did but true spiritual growth comes from within listen to what jesus said in mark 7 23 he says the things that make people wrong are the things that come from the inside he said all these bad things begin inside a person in the mind Bad thoughts, sexual sin, stealing, murder, adultery, greed, doing bad things to people, lying, doing things that are morally wrong, jealousy, insulting people, proud talking and foolish living. Notice these things come from the inside of a person, Jesus said. And these are the things that make people unacceptable to God. So it's not what we, what we eat and what we it's, it's drink, it's, it's in our nature, So this is the kind of theological background that Paul is dealing with here. So he turns to practical things to think about. Like what the divinity, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ should mean to all Christians. Because our eternal destiny is sure. Heaven should fill our thoughts. Sexual impurity and otherworldly lust shouldn't be named among us. And truth and love and peace should be obvious in our lives. And our love for Jesus Christ should also transfer. Our love for Jesus should be seen in our love toward other people. To our friends, to our fellow believers, our spouses, our children, our parents, our servants and, and masters. And we should constantly communicate with God through prayer. And we should take every chance that we get to tell others about the good news. All of these topics, all of these things are what is in the book of Colossians. In Christ, we have everything that we need for salvation and for living the Christian life. We're complete in him, Paul says. Complete. Paul had probably never visited Colossae. So he ends his letter with some personal comments about their their common Christian associations. Giving a living lesson about how concerned we are, or how connected we are in the body. Read Colossians when we study Colossians. Let us read it as a as a first century church that is struggling for its survival. Because today, like a lot of churches, they're under attack. The church is under attack. The gospel is under attack. The Bible is under attack. The, the you know the. the Christianity is under attack. It's all under attack. But let's read the book of Colossians because of its eternal truths and what Paul wanted to say to us. We should get a renewed appreciation for Jesus Christ as the fullness of God, the only source for living the Christian life. We should get a renewed appreciation for Jesus Christ as the fullness of God is. Remember, we don't need anything else. We don't need anybody else. He's our all in all. He's our sufficiency. He's more than adequate for all of us. And that's what Paul wants to get clear here in, his, in, in the book of Colossians. Know that he is your leader. Know that he's the only source for living the Christian life. Know that he's your head. And he's the source of your power. That's why you have to make sure you are plugged into him. And, and take that, you know, literally plugged into him, like, like a like a power tool. It doesn't work unless you are plugged into it. Unless it's plugged into the source of power. Listen to what Jesus said in, in John 15, 1 through 8. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit. He also trims every branch that produces fruit to prepare it to produce even more. You have already been prepared to produce more fruit by the teaching I have given you. Here he says, no, stay joined, connected. Stay connected, stay joined to me, and I will stay joined to you. No branch can produce fruit alone. Notice, it must stay connected to the vine. It is the same with you. You cannot produce fruit alone. You must stay joined to me. Notice how many times he makes that point. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you stay joined to me and I to you, you will produce much fruit. And you will be like a branch that has been uh, thrown out. I'm sorry, he says, if you don't stay joined to me, you'll be like a branch that has been thrown out and has dried up. All the dead branches like that are gathered up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Stay joined together with me. Notice again, he continues to make that point. Stay joined together with me and follow my teachings. If you do this, you can ask for anything you want, and it will be given to you. Show, uh, show that you are my followers by producing much fruit. This will bring honor to my Father. So again, he made it so clear about being connected to him if we're going to be productive. We can't do it without him. We can't do anything apart from Jesus Christ of any worth. Paul wrote this letter from prison like many others. This prison that Paul was in was actually a house where he was kept under close watch all the time, at all times. And he was probably chained to a soldier, but he was also allowed some freedoms that a lot of prisoners didn't have. And he was allowed to write letters and to have any visitors that he wanted to see. Now, it's really popular today, but unfortunately, even among many Christians, To believe that some person, some religious system, or some discipline can add something to their spiritual experience. The thing is, they have already everything that they need, everything that they'll ever need in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Again, you are complete in Him, period. Paul didn't start. He didn't start this letter by Attacking the false teachers. He didn't start by attacking their doctrines. Paul started by exalting Jesus Christ. We waste a lot of time on on, on talking about the, 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 the individuals or the doctrine. You know, let's spend our time talking about Jesus Christ. Showing his preeminence. And that's what Paul did. He began exalting Jesus Christ and was showing his preeminence in five areas. Jesus was preeminent in the gospel message, preeminent in redemption, preeminent in creation, preeminent in the church, and preeminent in Paul's own ministry. And those five things, Jesus Christ was preeminent. He was the main thing. And as Pastor Chuck always used to tell us, keep the main thing, the main thing. The people that Paul was writing to had become Christians because of the gospel message brought to them by Epaphras. And if this message was wrong, then they weren't saved at all. Once he had established the preeminence of Christ, then Paul attacked the heretics on their own ground based on what they were teaching. In chapter 2, Paul exposed the false origin of these teachers and he showed how their teachings contradicted everything that paul taught about jesus christ it's important as a christian that you really that we really understand this letter because if you don't you could you could likely be led astray by some appealing and and enticing so-called new and improved kind of christianity but Paul didn't think his job was done after he proved that the heretics were wrong because he still had something really important to say to the church. In chapters 3 and 4, Paul examined the greatest remedy for false teaching and that was a godly life. A godly life. People who say it doesn't matter what you believe just as long as you live a good life, they're way offline. They're not thinking sensibly. Because what we believe determines how we behave. And a behavior, our behavior is an index to the doctrine that we believe. If we believe that matter is evil, we'll use our bodies one way. But if we believe that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, then we will live based on what we believe. Wrong doctrine always leads to wrong living. Right doctrine leads to right living. And then in the last two chapters of Colossians, Paul applied the preeminence of Christ to the daily affairs of life. If Jesus is truly first in our lives, we're going to glorify Him. We're going to glorify Him. And there's many ways that we can do that. We'll glorify Him by keeping pure. Living pure lives for Him. Staying away from those things that defile us. That cause us to be impure. Also, by enjoying fellowship with other Christians. If Christ is truly first in my life, I am going to enjoy fellowship with other Christians. Also, if Christ is truly first in our life, we will see that and we will give glory to God by loving each other. Loving each other at home, being faithful at work, being a good employee or being a good employer. Also, we will glorify God if if Christ is truly first in our lives by trying to witness for Jesus Christ, by trying to tell others about the Lord. Also, to serve Jesus effectively, we bring him glory. And unless doctrine leads to service, it's of no use to us. And remember, we're saved to serve. We're saved to serve. But if doctrine doesn't lead us to service, it's no use to us. Many Bible scholars have concluded that Colossians is the most profound letter that Paul ever wrote. So it's important that we don't just rush through it. We need to depend upon the Holy Spirit to teach it to us. Or we're going to miss the truth that God wants us to learn from it. And the church today desperately needs the message of Colossians. Because we live in a day, and we know it all, we, know, we all know, we live in a day when, to- when religious toleration really means one religion is just as good as another. Or, hey, you know, live and let live. Oh, they mean well. You, long, you know, as long as they believe in something. And some people try to take the best from the, all the different religious systems and make their own personal religion. And they say, "Well, this is what works for me. Oh, this is what I believe." And we, we let them go with that. This is what I believe. And, oh, okay. Well, instead of telling, "Hey, why do you believe what you believe in? What? Who do you believe in? Who's the object? Who's the object of your worship?" Of truth, you know, wh- wh- where are you getting your, your, your where are you getting your doctrine? Instead, we just let them go because hey, well, this is this is what works for me. This is what I believe. To a lot of people, you know, Jesus is just one of many religious leaders. One of many religious leaders. He's not one of many. He's not the best of them all. He's the only one. He's the only one. Because none of the others that claim to be religious leaders and spiritual died on a cross for us. None of them gave their precious blood for us. There's where we stand up and have the right to say, Jesus only. Jesus only. Because only Jesus died on a cross so again Jesus is the only one of many great religious teachers but with but with no more authority than the others now he may stand out from all the others if he's in that category of just another religious leader he may stand out more than all the others but he's definitely not uh, definitely not pre- pre- preeminent he's definitely not preeminent This is an age of syncretism. And syncretism is the mixing of different forms of belief or practice. People are trying to unite, bring together many different ideas and thoughts and try to make them all fit together, harmonize to come up with a super religion. The best of the best. Our evangelical churches are in danger of watering down and contaminating the faith in their loving attempt to understand the belief of others. Someone said Th- those who tolerate everything uh, to- uh, accept everything. And that's basically what it is. Toleration is just, is just accepting everything. And it means they stand for Nothing. Mysticism, legalism, Eastern religions, asceticism, and man-made philosophies, they are creeping into churches today. They're not denying Jesus. They're not denying Christ, but in a sense, they're taking Him off of His throne. And they're robbing robbing Him of His rightful place of preeminence and glory. They're weakening His position Thus, we have the, the, the seeker-friendly church. We have the emerging church. We have the, the, uh, you know, the all-accepting church. doesn't matter who you are or what you do. Come on in. So as we study this great letter, we need to pay attention to Paul's writings. Colossians 2.4, he said, Lest any man should deceive you. Colossians 2.8 says, Lest anyone cheat you. Colossians 2.16, Let no one judge you. Beware of substitutes or add-ons because you have all you need in Him. The idea that the Christian message should be open for change and interpretation, a lot of people want to do that today. They want to change a lot of what the Bible says to make it more acceptable, you know, more open to everybody, more inclusive, and especially to young people who cannot stand to have authoritative biblical truth applied with strictness as a corrective way to worldly lifestyles, corrective ways of unholy minds and ungodly behavior and the poison of this thinking is being put into the evangelical church body more and more as time passes but it's not true christianity not knowing what you believe which is a must to christianity is kind of unbelief not knowing what you believe what you believe which is a must to christianity is a kind of unbelief Refusing to acknowledge and defend the revealed truth of God in His Word is an especially stubborn and wicked kind of unbelief. Encouraging doubt, encouraging uncertainty, or deliberately blurring the truth is a sinful way of encouraging unbelief. Every true Christian should know and love the truth. The Bible says one of the main reasons that people perish is because of their unbelief. Second Thessalonians 2.10 says, He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. Again, the Antichrist. You know, the, 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 the law of, of uh, evil. You know, the, 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 because they don't believe a lie, they're going to believe a strong delusion. I'm sorry, because they didn't believe in the truth, going ha- there's going to be a strong delusion. They're going to believe everything. A lot of Christians today aren't willing to take a bold stand for the truth because they're afraid that somebody's feelings might get hurt, mainly their own. A lot of Christians think the church should be at play and not war, and the Bible says, we're at warfare, spiritual warfare unfortunately christians are more concerned about the world uh, the worlding, uh, the the world uh, ha- uh, and, and having fun they're more concerned about you know having fun in the world and, and, and rather than fighting fighting for truth fighting for christ having as much fun as possible in their in their in their time here and they're so preoccupied with making the church seem cool making it cool to unbelievers that, you know, that that, that doctrine doesn't matter whether it's sound or not. We're living in a day when, when God's truth is being rejected, ridiculed, watered down, reinterpreted, outlawed, and attacked on every level in the church where people should respect and honor the truth very highly, Solomon's counsel was wise and it was very timely for today. In Proverbs 23, 23, Solomon said, Buy the truth and do not sell it. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Buying the truth suggests spending whatever time, energy, or money is necessary to get to the truth. And when you get it, hold on to it for dear life and don't sell it. Because when you know the truth, and that you are right. Don't back down. Stand up and speak up. If I was if you and I, if we were falsely accused of some crime and our life was at stake, would you just sit there and be quiet? No. You you couldn't shut us up. In closing, in studying this extraordinary letter. We need to remember ourselves. We need to remind ourselves that we are complete in Jesus Christ. We should watch out for any teaching that claims to give us something more to make what we have better. Something more than we already have in Christ. All of God's fullness is in Him. And he has perfectly equipped us for the life that God wants us to have. We don't, need, we don't live and grow by adding things to Christ, but putting away things that are not edifying and, 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 uh, and putting on Christ. And so we pray that the Lord would help us to live like those who are complete in him. We need to pray, Lord, help us to live like those who are complete in Him, Father, we thank you again for Your Word. And Father, we thank you for the the introduction that uh, the time we spent, Father, just looking at the whole background of of Colossians and what the what, what Paul was dealing with, God, and and what the church was doing, and 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 God, just all that was wrong with it, Lord. Help us to to see through these things, God, how to protect ourselves as Christians and how to protect our church, Lord. And to just watch for these things, God, that that are all around us and is so appealing to so many people, Father. But may Jesus be more appealing than anything that we know of or anyone that we know. And may he be preeminent in our life, God, all the time. May he be first thing in our thoughts in the morning and the last thing in our thoughts at night, Lord. Again, may he be everything to us, for he made himself everything to us, Lord, as he gave his life upon that cross for all of us, God. So, Father, we thank you so much. Father, we thank you for the offering that we will receive today, Lord. We thank you for your generosity and your goodness, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.